Where are you at, man? Where are you, uh, where are you from? So I'm actually, I live in Hammond, Louisiana. So it's a little bit north of New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, Louisiana's yeah. a spot I don't know well. <laughs> I've been in New Orleans it's, once, maybe. Dude, it's, it's, you got your country folk, you got, I mean, we're just diversity of, all across the board. Yeah. Yeah. New Orleans was cool. Like, the people were really cool. I'm not much of like a party or bourbon street guy so we walked that a little bit but um like the culture you could feel and like the food obviously and the architecture that was all cool just the bourbon street i don't know if that's my calling dude i feel you man whenever uh so i'm from southwest louisiana okay which is nowhere near new orleans and when i moved out this way i got to experience bourbon street yeah and it was fun whenever you're incredibly young yeah, yeah. But uh, as you get older, you're like, eh. The music, the music and the culture, and yeah. the, the, just everything is great about New Orleans with the history, and it's just a, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, but the smell, oh. some, <laughs> of the, some of the folks stomping around. Yeah, maybe not. One Dude, of our uh, the smell is disgusting. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if you've been yeah. to Vegas, but obviously, like another party street. But Vegas, I don't think has that smell. I don't know what's going on in the South. Dude, it's just it's it's got to be there for centuries. Yeah, swampy, swampy. Yeah, the 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 humidity. Yeah. What what's uh where's Baton Rouge then? Is that more east? Yes. Uh, LSU west. and all that? West. Oh, it is west. West. Right. West of me. I'm centralized. Okay. So the great thing about where I live, um, the intersection of two massive interstates, 55, 10, and then there's also 12. So it's it's a very convenient location for traveling to Baton Rouge or New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. That's something a little different out there than here. Like, you don't really drive anywhere out here, you know, even to get to L.A. Really? for us. Well, to get to L.A. is like six and a half hours. Everything's just so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you could probably get to Texas and Kentucky in a day if you wanted. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I do drive to L.A., but, yeah, it's kind of a bitch. And then the other thing north is, like, Portland, and that's 10 hours. Dude. Yeah, and Seattle's three more than that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, or more. Yeah, it takes forever. Depending on traffic and stuff. Yeah, it takes forever. Oh. The Southern life. Yeah, man. The Southern life is nice. Do you live down there your whole life then, basically? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, if you guys discovered a little bit more about my story, yeah. then I was. it's pretty much Southeast Texas and then all across the Southern piece of Louisiana, essentially. Yeah. Where's that adventure start? It starts in a little town called Dry Creek. Louisiana. And that's uh, kind of the Southwest, like you said? Yes. Yeah. I graduated with 50, I think 51 or 52 people. In your high school? Yeah. Dang. Because I, yeah, I, went, I, went I went to a tiny art school, and so my graduating class was 24 people, and that blows everyone's brains. That's strong. Yeah. Same kids for 13 years in the same class. Dude. Yeah, wild weird experience that's kind of uh if if i didn't move around as much as i did that would have been uh the similar story yeah small town vibes real community at mm -hmm. least though it's kind of cool it's kind of cool yeah, in one sense yeah it is everybody knows everybody you know it's it's good in that and good in that way yeah yeah there's good and bad it definitely kept me out of trouble that's true 
There you go. Yeah, mom taught there, so anything I do, I'm about to get yelled at by somebody. Uh, <laughs> Tight community. Yeah, yeah. Dude, if your mom was a teacher, dude. Yeah, I was fucked. Yeah, yeah I was fucked. Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, you were, dude. Um. Yeah. Let's just um give everybody the brief here. Um, and then I can fill in about like why I was interested in having you on the show. Yeah, maybe Come just on. a quick uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're about. So yeah, I I'm middle aged dude who is like let's let's make a difference. Let's talk about something that is very uncomfortable that most people don't talk about, and let's bring awareness to the table about being a former foster youth, what that journey's been like, the ups, the downs, a lot of downs. But now in life, as I'm successful and growing and getting better, I want to sh spread the news that we can make it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great place to start because you don't hear a lot of stories about it. You know, I was incredibly lucky with my upbringing. Um, we have some friends actually from Louisiana that have sound like a similar story to you, yeah. um, our buddy Luke. Um, but it's not something you hear a lot about and, and you don't know why necessarily is it because of success stories is it because they just tend to find their way and and yeah maybe don't bring awareness to it um so i think just in that fact alone that you don't hear about it is great reason to talk about it more <laughs> thanks brother yeah i i um you know i follow you on instagram and i'm and um you put out just a whole lot of positive message about dealing with difficult situations. And I mean, a lot of people, you don't, they don't have to be in, in the same situation that you were in um, to appreciate those messages. But at the same time, the people who have been in that situation, it's like you're, it's like almost like you're speaking another vocabulary to them, one that they recognize from their, from their lived experience. And uh, so that's, that's really why I wanted to talk to you, get to know you a little bit. Um, Thank you, man. What, um, what was like, when did your foster experience start? Good question. I think I was eight years old. Actually, I know I was eight. Um, I have three other siblings and I'm the oldest of, of all four of us. And at the age of eight, my brother and I were first placed in our first foster home. Is that something you want to talk about the circumstances? Like what leads most people to that world? Like what, what's like the, is there like one light switch that happens and now, you know, the government tries to step in or is it a slow process? I mean, obviously you're eight, but I'm sure you're more aware of situations of other people now at eight. You have no clue what the fuck's going on, but, uh, right on dude. Yeah. Now, now maybe you're more aware of your own story or other people's stories at eight. I mean, you're fucking talking to dragons dude. and shit. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm living in this, uh, well, I wish I could say I lived in this fairy tale world, but I had to create something that I saw myself to be, which is who I am now, which is phenomenal to say that a child that went through all that could be where I'm at. And anyways, gratitude there. But yes, I am okay with sharing. Um, what I do know is that I think there was obviously abuse, neglect, um, trauma, all of it, you name it. So we, we weren't, we didn't need to be in that situation situation anymore. And uh, the state stepped in, 
because of my grandfather and because of my grandfather i'm where i'm at today so anyways that's a side story but he essentially spoke up to because his son is my father and he told the state what was going on and the rest is history have you had a, a chance to talk to him about that or since that? Because that in his own, obviously, being eight and what you're going through had to be incredibly difficult. But even as a grown man, as a grandpa, that can't be an easy call or an easy file to file. Yes. So with that being said, there's a twist to my grandfather. Uh, I actually got placed with him in legal guardianship and custody. And he actually placed me with multiple other families without the state even knowing. Oh my. Yeah. So that's another reason why I'm speaking up. Yeah. Yeah. It gets complicated. It does. It's very complicated, not just for me, but every foster child or former foster youth, they all have unique situations that no one pieces the, the right piece of the puzzle. Yeah, um, longtime listeners of this of this program and and the the one that we did before this, um, Mike and I um, know that I have like I have a third kid who is not my biological kid and and was never never really lived with us, but almost did at at third grade. Um, his his parents both were um, drug addicts at the time and. Mm. Um, and then his father uh, at some point left his mom and basically just started a different life, just just kind of left everything else behind. And he was uh, not the oldest kid, but the most responsible one. So he was taking care of his younger sisters. And it became obvious at some point that, like, you know, in the third grade, he was the one, you know, taking the food stamps and going to the grocery wow. store. And... um uh, like we were on on the point of of offering to foster him, and his grandmother stepped in. His his dad's mom stepped in and uh, and took him at that point. And then, as an adult, he was he was wounded in Afghanistan and wow. was at Walter Reed for quite a while. And we you know we were the only family that could be there. And so um, I was just going through this paperwork over the weekend, like, you know, when you it, when you do stuff um, for a wounded warrior with any one of the services, but this was, was the army, you get like, like travel orders, they like take care of your flights. And, and, you know, if you're actually helping uh, take care of the person, you get a certain amount of like pay or whatever. I just came across those the other day, because his, this was nine years ago now that this happened. Um, and it was, it was uh, kind of the most, one of the most profound experiences of my life, just because, uh, I, if we hadn't been able to be there, I'm not sure what would have happened. And obviously we're, you know, found family. We're not, you know, he grew up with our youngest son and he was in and out of our house a, a bunch, but never lived with us. But we had that, that parental responsibility over an adult that we had never really had before. It was, it was a, a strange, but good experience for, for all of us. He still calls me, you know, he just calls his mom and dad, you know, now yeah. because his, his, 
his parents are peripherally in his life, but not any kind of helpful or directive way, I guess is the best way to say it. Man, what you did is very honorable. Thank yeah, you. I, I mean, I, it didn't feel that way at the time. It felt like like it felt like a responsibility. It didn't feel mm. like a decision. I guess uh, that's the best you're a good say. human being. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we're back to to your story. You were saying that then, then your your grandfather placed you with with different folks. Um, was any of that a good experience, or was it all? just difficult it's all just difficult you know thinking about it but it's made me who i am today it gave me an opportunity to be around different situations different families um, when you're moving from this place to this place to this place you're on your p's and q's as much as you can be so that way you don't get placed in another place I'd say it was very hard be, when I found out the truth and I've only learned the truth within these past six months. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. I've made my peace with it. I've made my peace with the situations that have happened. The, the realization happened one night when I was hanging out with my biological brother we carried on until about 3 a.m. in the morning. He came and visited, just revisited our relation, relationship in general. But he said, yeah, man, I went through the process, process and I was actually adopted. So he got adopted when he was 12. And he was explaining how that situation happens. And he asked me about my situation because we had never seen each other, maybe moments. And when he asked me about it, he was like, your grandfather was like your father. When you got placed with him, when he was, when you were put in legal guardianship, he was essentially your father. And his wife is your mother. It's weird how legal guardianship and custody, custody is different than adoption. But when that happened, I, I loved him. I felt like he was, he was everything. He was my savior. It was one of the happiest moments of my life that he was my grandfather and he was somebody I looked up to that I resonated with, that I wanted to be like, a, be like, he taught me hard work. He taught me to believe in myself. It's so weird how twisted this is. But at the same time, I couldn't stay with him because I was a bad boy or I wasn't a good kid or I couldn't get along with his wife and their daughter. So he's like, look, I don't know what else to do. And then he put me with some quote unquote friends of the family that I really didn't know. I called them mother, called them father. I have a new sibling and then one day I show up and all my stuff's on their doorstep and mm. that's when reality checks in and then I go to another home that's friends of the family and then I wind up here. <laughs> I could keep going with it but that's the gist of it. 
What do those like pockets of time look like? Are they weeks, months, years? And obviously they vary, but um, was there was there like any section where you're like, all right, I have some stability here? Zero stability. Yeah. Through it all. The only stability I've ever had is moving out here. I've been here for 15 years. I've uh, met my wife out here. I've gained a sense of community and family. And because of this, the stability in my own life and what I've created, I can now say that I'm safe, happy, and moving forward. But there was no stability in those situa- situations. It must have been very difficult and, and probably is ongoing difficult um, situation to figure out how to not be on guard all the time. If I mean, if you are a, a child who grew up in a, in a situation that was constantly changing, you couldn't really trust that anything was going to stay um, the same and safe for any period of time. You had to just be really guarded. Is, is, is that, am I, am I clocking that correctly or? You are, you're doing a good job. Um, yes. Very so much on guard. Um, I've developed hypervigilance. Yeah. And the hypervigilance is good and bad. I've had to develop um, a lot of healing techniques over the years because it's been fuel for me to know what situation's happening if someone's being real if they're lying to me i can i can i can feel it out and know so on guard yes uh, but i because of the forgiveness i've given it i'm able to be where i'm at now you say like healing techniques is are you talking about just like things that naturally occurred as a kid and a teenager and a young adult that you just like figured out or is that, do they help you with some of that stuff? Like, is there counseling? Is there, I know, I don't know, budgets. I don't know, government stuff. Like, do they have therapy budgets? Do they try to help these kids? Or is it something that you're just freaking, because obviously. Kind of like, just winging it, bro. Yeah, because like we, we do, like you said, like we, we figure out things that, but they, I think when we figure them out on our own or we're forced to figure things out, whether it's extreme or not extreme it doesn't always tend to be good, right? Because like, oh, right. humans just want to live. So you're going to go to like That's some right. crazy defense mechanism. And like Jim said, yeah, maybe you just throw up walls everywhere and now you hate every, now you hate the world and you hate everyone because you're protecting yourself. Like that's probably not the right. best coping to, to fit into society. So how, how, do you, how, do you, how did you manage from then till now know, yeah, what that healing or what tools are good, what methods in your brain or your actions kind of serve you and which ones are, you know, maybe a default mechanism that might not serve you? Dude, honestly, when I was a kid, I just dreamed really hard. (laughs) Uh, And as I got older, I dreamed even harder. And even now I dream even harder. I think that's what keeps me going. The dream, the belief of being something special, even though I was treated like I wasn't something special. I have to give myself that. I have to give myself the parenting techniques that I never got. I have to give myself the wisdom that I never got. I have to read books continuously. I have to put myself in a situation where I'm around great people, people that want to get better, people that inspire themselves. If I'm surrounded by those type of people, 
then it'll it'll the vibrations will come my way and then I can become better. So everything genuinely has been on my own. I don't think there was any government process as when I grew up in the 90s that I'm aware of, especially whenever I got put in legal guardianship and custody. So I don't know if they were as involved at that point. Yeah. When I was in care, I remember, I think my mother tried to tell me not to talk, not to say anything, not to speak. And to, she told me that everything that they say is a lie, right? So whenever I would go to therapy, the times that I did, I would freeze up. I remember being a kid, never speaking, never, never actually giving my emotions what they deserved. And when you have your adult in your life that tells you not to do that, not to speak, you look up to them and listen to them. So for years I was silent and just held it all inside. That had to be so difficult as a kid. I don't really remember much, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, in the foster systems in America, at least, there's very little that's done for, um, officially done for uh, people as they become uh, as they reach the majority, let's say that when they, when they turn 18 and then suddenly they don't have a housing situation and they don't have a support situation. I know that that's, that, uh, is just very common. It, was your, what was your experience like with, um, aging out? Yeah. So I learned about that terminology and thought that's what happened to me. Aging out is whenever you're actually in care and then you're still part of the state's care and they have a process outside of that. When you do turn 18, I think the state of Louisiana extended it to 21. Hmm. So I didn't necessarily get those benefits due to legal guardianship and custody. But as I moved from home to home, couch surfed, stayed with one friend here one night, I eventually stayed persistent on my dream whenever I was a child kept my schooling up and I was able to go to a university here in Louisiana. And because of being able to go to Louisiana university, I met a really good friend and he's from where I'm at now. I just took a whim and a leap of faith, moved out here with him one day. I didn't want to be in the situation that I was in and I just had some grit and determination and stayed with them in their apartment complex. You know, there was like, there was like five or six of us living in a two bedroom apartment yeah. and they, they, they accepted me. They were my age. They were like, dude, we believe in you work hard and, and we're here for you. What is even adults? What, what is that dream when you're 16, 17, 18, you said you dreamed a lot. I try to dream yeah. a lot too, but the, the whole society tells me not to, but at 16, 17, 18, <laughs> what, what, what is that dream? Was it college? Was it like this, you know, yeah. whatever, like white collar career or something, or was it, No. obviously dude. it's to get out of what you're dealing with, but is yeah, there man, fun? The is there stars. fun in the dream? Yeah, dude, there was a lot of fun in the dream. Um, I remember, you know, this is crazy to say, I'm, I remember being, 17 in high school and somebody took a photo of me and they were like, dude, you could be a model. 
you could act or you could do this. And I was like, okay, I'll kind of, I'll play off of that and listen to it. But that actually lit a fire. So whenever I did go to college, I did have the opportunity to do theater and act and do some different things and even try to do modeling before social media was what it was. Now everyone's and a I fucking model. I know. <laughs> All you need is an Instagram account. Bro, that's so the Your truth, dream came man. true. Brother. You well, willed fucking Instagram modeling. Hey man, brother. We blame right you for on, that. Uh, come on, blame me, dude. <laughs> dude, you're so right. Man, and that's another reason I just – it's so weird being 35 – and seeing the world the way it is with social media blowing up so fast yeah uh anyways it's good and bad but that was the dream mike just turned 35 so yeah they say our generation is like the craziest you know just just from what we've known to see because we did go basically from vinyl to now and we're gonna see ai and we're probably gonna live on mars together or some shit right on dude let's go fuck it's crazy. It's crazy. We have it's a bunch totally of crazy. All man. our employees are like early twenties. I just feel Dude, so old. Like cassette weird? tapes. Yeah, I had cassette tapes. I'm listening to fucking Nelly rap music on cassette. Ain't nobody right doing on, that. Dude. Yeah, ain't nobody doing that. <laughs> dude, I got a vinyl. That's what's behind me, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Like, it just feels organic. Yeah, it is a lot more raw. Like it's yeah. Anyways, there's some yeah. simplicity in our generation and other generations too. Yeah, I just rebought the uh, the same stereo receiver that I bought with my high school graduation money. I just I, I just bought a ref, ref, refurbished one, and I fucking love it. It makes me feel Dude. so good. I don't. I, it's difficult to describe why and how it makes me feel good, but it just it touch it touches a lot of memories about a time in my life that it seems you know really so so far away until i'm kind of with that and and it just sort of brings it all back that's right dude we have to have some simplicity in life yeah so what are you doing now i actually have a pretty awesome career i uh work for a home builder it's amazing to be homeless and now helping families with their dreams, wow. their homes. Yeah, man, it's it's a powerful experience. I get to serve and help and have that authenticity whenever they're like, man, I really be in a home. I get to be there and say, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to make sure you get to be in a beautiful home. Keep it in your budget. Make sure you have an awesome experience because I remember what it was like not to have a home. Yeah, I want them to have a home. That's um, no, that's really great. That's I I can see that there's a, a certain um, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me, Mike. There's a certain it just fits. That fits very well with what you're. What <laughs> it's you're almost saying. like it was by design. Yeah, yeah, almost. Yeah. Um, I I have seen um, other people talk about um, uh, the use of like fitness for. Um, for kids who are in, in, in foster situations in terms of like helping them develop a greater sense of self-esteem and whatever. Have you, have you seen like that in the world and was that a, a part of your journey at all or? Yes, definitely. Fitness is a savior for me. 
if it's not in my life, then I'm not as happy. Yeah. Uh, I remember being a chubby kid or husky <laughs> because when I was in care or before care, obviously neglect and starvation, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I got in care, I remember one of the first things that I ate was a double whopper. <laughs> and dude that double whopper was so good <laughs> oh man and like when i'd eat cereal i'd pour like a whole ton of sugar on it right yeah um so anyways i i gained a little weight uh and as i gained weight when you when you're i'm sure kids are feeling it today but whenever i was a kid it was like you were picked on for being a heavy set and and it just it was a lot and then you factor in all the trauma and then you want to fit in because you're an outsider because you don't really have a stable family you put all that into play and then you lose a lot of weight because you don't know what you're doing you basically restarve yourself you know um and then i played a little baseball and i was like I gotta, I gotta put on some muscle. I gotta do something. I lose, I lost all this weight. I lost all this muscle mass. Like, how do I get it back? So the fitness journey for me really started when I was probably about 19. Um, when I moved out here, I saw a guy in the gym. He's 10 years old, 10 years old, 10 years older than me. And, um, saw him pumping weights. I was like, dude, I want to be like you. He was working out. He's like, show up at 5 a.m. the next morning. And I did. And the rest is history. Without that fitness foundation, I wouldn't be as secure and stable as I am now. Was there any, like, um, I guess coping would be the negative, but any, like, positive foundation in your younger years, high school or or junior high type stuff? Because even me... And you read it everywhere, and who knows who to believe? Because again, everyone's a fucking Instagram model and Instagram CEO. <laughs> but all these like CEOs yeah. and stuff, they talk about like right their root, their routines, and and I've never heard anyone talk about why they have routine. But through years of therapy and whatever, right? We talk about stability, and stability's through routine because you know what's going to come, right? So you build these routines, so things are predictable, and then you can make adjustments, like many science projects. And so, to me, it makes sense where you know running companies myself my life feels very chaotic and things can pop up out of anywhere or nowhere and I'm traveling and I just flew in last night and I got to fly in again next Tuesday and you know, my life's crazy. So I build this routine that kind of holds me steady in the middle of that. Okay. I work out at 8 AMs. I eat at 3 PMs. I go to bed at 10 PMs because everything else is fucking chaos in my life. Yeah. Now you, you throw that exponential into what sounds like your childhood and you have real chaos. Did you ever like default to something besides like maybe dreaming and stuff like that. Was there anything that you found before 19 that helped you like find some kind of, I always think of a, you ever see Inception yes. movie? I always think of that yes. totem too, you know, like, like when my life yeah. is, and they, they say right, that, right, like right, right. therapy teaches you that during like anxiety attacks, like right just on. feel the ground, like stare at your fucking yes. toes. You know, your toes right are on, real. Dude. You know, the ground's That's what real. I'm touching right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just always know, yeah, I bite the shit on my nails. Like, all right, this shit's real, you know? And so there's always something holding you steady when you don't feel, I guess, in control in some sense. And you had the ultimate sense of no control. Two things. I love to read, and I'm incredibly curious. 
the more I can read, the more I can learn, the more I'm with that person that is in the book. So that allowed me a lot of freedom. So I stayed in the books all those years. You know, when we grew up, Harry Potter. Yeah. Even though, so. You were talking that, to dragons. Yes, I was. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'll say this too. I did talk to a lot of Jesus. Uh, you know, I think that as a child, I didn't understand it. I still am learning it, spirituality and all that. But uh, as a kid, that did kind of give me a little bit of hope. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I think that in the books, I just believed that I was going to be okay somehow. Did you learn that from somewhere? Was there somewhere along the journey that someone with faith or, or that had a routine of, of church and, and community of that? that you saw or, or was it more yeah. through reading? Yeah. When you, when you grow up in a small town in the South. Yeah. It makes sense. That's basically, <laughs> bro, everybody goes to church. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up that way, you're always in a pulpit on a Sunday, not a pulpit, but in the pews mm-hmm. on a Sunday. And you're just trying to understand what they're telling you about. So I would read the Bible. I would, I would try to listen and I find out that all, all humans are fallible. Um, but that one story, every time I'd read it about Jesus, I was like, makes sense. I think it's the one hero throughout all these years that if I ever look at any of the stories, I'm like, man, that dude was pretty cool. So not that I'm a holy roller or anything like that. I just think that that kind of helped me growing up as a kid. And even today. Yeah, um, I'm having grown up the way that I did in, you know, in church and, and whatever. I'm not a huge fan of religion at this point in my life, but I am I, I cannot argue against um, spirituality and um, that whatever helps people feel more connected right. to a larger world. Um, for sure. It, I, I mean, I the town I grew up in was essentially a small town in in the South, but it was in California and it wasn't in the South of California. It, it's, <laughs> you know, uh, rural California is not really the same thing as, as urban California. No, mm. for sure not. Yeah. I think one thing that makes California a little different than the South is like generational stuff. You know, like, like you said, like probably who's in your small town, their great grandpa grew up in that town. That's right. super rare out here. You know, yeah. I think I have one friend that ha- has family like that, but I mean, my mom's from Argentina. My dad's from Cleveland. His dad's from Italy. Like, we moved everywhere. Where if you're in, like, the South, or obviously, like, Massachusetts and shit like that, yeah. you may be able to go back, like, six generations. So, like, the forming of community almost seems a little better out there. And like you said, if everyone goes to church, that's just part of what the community does. Right. And whether you believe in the church or not, that's to right. me, at least, it almost doesn't matter. You got that community. You got that core. You know, you got something where that's something I've I've— we obviously try to build it here at the gym because I think it's such a lacking yeah. piece in in the West Coast. Uh, yeah. Even America as a whole, for sure. You compare it to other countries and like community is very hard to come by because we're so grandiose of a, a nation. There's so many people, so mm. many moving parts, money. You take all these things into account, people moving, jobs, et cetera. Um, it's hard to find like that core humans. They ain't got to be your best friends. But you know Sally runs the coffee shop, and you go fucking say hi to Sally. You know there's yeah. some there's something again in that stability 
rather than going to Starbucks and seeing a new barista every day, mm. you know, not waving to your neighbor. There, there's something you always kind of feel like you're a stranger in your own town. Mm. Small. Yeah. Yeah. Small is kind of good. I think sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it yeah. I, I'm glad I live where I live. You know, I think, I think we're a community of about 20,000. We have that's university. extra small. Yeah. We have a major Louisiana university. I, Southeastern Louisiana University. And because of that, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a great sense of community because of it. What um, what can people do to help people who are like outside of this uh of the, you know, of people who don't have experience with the foster system, people who are, who, who were never in care or whatever, um, uh, or even, you know, disconnected from family the way that, that, that you were physically, emotionally. I don't want to layer that question, but wh why is it even that we don't talk about it? That's a question yeah. I don't have an answer for at all. You guys are yeah. talking about it right now? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but you took the leap and you asked me and, and I'm very grateful for it. But like, I don't, you know, I, I think it's dirty, dude. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, like even the reason that I'm standing up is because I think there are a lot of people who are dealing with shame and there's a limitless amount of abuses that happen to children that are in care. And that's what people don't like talking about. They don't yeah. like talking about the dirty stuff. They don't like talking about the abuse that's continuous every single day and that hurts and and that causes people to be incarcerated and the aging out and all the data and the stats. It's horrible. It's not happy. So I but think like, that might be one of the reasons. But like some reason, like, you know, you listen to the Rogans or some people with big platform, they're talking about the prison system, which is arguably you know, fucked up, maybe not as fucked up because now we're talking kids who have no control. So you're right. It is a hair darker, but like the prison system's fucked and private yeah. pr prisons, like politics are obviously fucked and people want to talk about that all day, every day. Religion has its fucked parts and people want to talk about right. that all day, every day. And people want to talk about social media dramas and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's maybe not as dark, but yeah. it's definitely negative. But for some reason... Yeah, maybe do you think it is the shame makes sense, although it doesn't actually make sense because the poor kids have zero to do with it, right? So to be shameful for something you have zero control of, I know that's human nature, but it makes, no, you know, makes no logical sense, but it makes sense to me why they feel shame because they had to go through this process. They're so different. They're outcasts or they feel that way. Um, but do you think there's, and obviously it sounds like that's part of, part of your side mission besides your career is to, to bring awareness to it. But have you found right. others that talk about it or, or try or like a bigger name or speech? Our buddy Luke, yeah, who's from New Orleans, had a similar path. and, and I think You know what's funny about that? Yeah. His stepmom work, actually works with me or did. She just retired. Oh, no way. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, Louisiana small town. Yeah, Luke's yeah, a good dude, dude man. <laughs> and and uh, I think Luke literally, you know, grew up on the streets for a, a good chunk of, of what he was going through. Um, so even the dirtiness of the government didn't even help him, you know. And it sounds a little similar to your story where government just didn't even know what you were going through in some senses because right. you had this guardianship. Um and I think Luke's open to talk about it for sure, but it, uh, you know, and we talked about it with him on his thing, but yeah. on our podcast. But there, there just doesn't seem to be as many people 
that it sounds like, and I don't know the data, that go through the system, it doesn't seem as many people want to speak on it to try to help it. I think we're such a marginalized piece of society. There's only around 440,000 foster children right now. So that might be it. Yeah. We're such a small piece of the community that may not often be thought of. As an aside about Luke, I started watching season two of Heels and both, uh, both Luke and, and, and PJ, his son are, or in, 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 in episode one. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just feels good to see them there. Um, um, you know, particularly Luke, although I think that, um, you know, he's had, he's had struggles in, as an adult and as an parent and stuff too. And so, uh, knowing that, that what their relationship like is, is like now is is really um, really cool. Yeah, but just just seeing them on screen is just great. Is there a, is there a uh, I don't want to draw conclusions, and it sounds like you're a big reader, so maybe you do know some of the data. Um, is there is there a coincidence there that two of our friends that kind of went through that world are from Louisiana? Is there a southern like obviously it's not as you know wealthy of a state or area as other places? Is, is there a larger you know, drugs are bad everywhere, but is is there a reason why is is there a foster system crazy in, in Louisiana for some reason, or or the percentages? Uh, I think I recently learned that there's about thirty three hundred foster children currently. Yeah, so maybe a slightly big piece of the pie compared to other states. Potentially. Yeah. I think the demographics might be maybe per capita. Yeah, yeah. There might be a larger association of the. Um, I'm, I'm still learning about it every day because I'm not an expert. I'm just an expert on me and my story. And I, I, I hate to say that I could represent former foster youth or foster care, foster care as a whole, but you might be onto something there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense in my brain. And again, I know, I know none of the data, but that's a pretty random coincidence, you know, and I, and I could even feel it. I, I think when I visited New Orleans, it was 2017, 2016, and you could feel the Katrina stuff. You know, we drove through a certain yeah. neighborhood and you're like, oh, fuck, you know, like, and I know Luke spoke on that a little bit about growing up during some of that stuff to us, either on air or off air. So it obviously had a large effect um, of, of what was going on there. And then, and then, I mean, yeah, depending on who your governor is, right, and who your mayor is, different government things step in or don't, you know, depending on yeah, their budgets and where they put their emphasis to get voted back into the system. <laughs> when you think that the median income of one person where I live currently is only about seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. I mean it just goes to show that we're a very poverty stricken state. Yeah. Yeah, the only other person I, I talked to a lot of about this with is, is my buddy Simon who who stepped into the strength and conditioning YouTube space, you know, in his mid twenties, but he worked. Um, you worked for the government, in like Albuquerque, and he mm. has a lot of stories. You know, kind of basically being a counselor and traveling around to some of the deserts out there and seeing where people are living and how they're living, the poverty, the kids, um, nightmares of stories. You know, mm. uh, and same thing. Like you just don't hear that talked about when when people like talk or like I don't want to say joke, but you know they'll say something like that. They always talk about like a third world country. You know, they'll talk about Africa or they'll talk about Colombia or they'll talk about all these things. But, like, it's literally happening in, in every state here, you know? I think and that's I why I'm speaking out, buddy, because yeah. I think 
I think you would have never known based on my career, based on where I'm at, based on the accolades of, oh, he's successfully graduated uh, college, you know, and, and he's where he's at. I think that's why I'm speaking out because yeah. you never know who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, many years uh, to get you there, you know. Right on. <laughs> yeah, it didn't just happen. I guess that goes back to Jim's original question is, yeah, what's what's the help? I mean, awareness is always a piece, right? And that's always the start and conversations always – get the ball rolling but but where's the you know have you done any research yourself besides being like an advocate of, of where you know the average joe can step in and, and help or or do anything i guess there are a lot of nonprofits that support children who are aging out of the foster care system uh, there are a lot of places that you can dedicate your time to money you can just look up a nonprofit and and give back or you can just have a good conversation like we're doing. Um, I think those would definitely help. I think legislations, uh, I actually tried to formulate a bill to help with the fact that I had this happen to me through legal guardianship and custody. Mm. And uh, it, got, it didn't make it to committee, but that's okay. Uh, I think that there's opportunity for me to keep speaking about it and try to change some laws, try to help the children out there that need it. So I think legislation is part of it. You can talk to your local politician, let them know that, hey, this guy that I talked to has been through all this. What can we do to make a difference? It seems like something that should be an easy bipartisan issue. It's kids, but that doesn't always play out that way at all. Well, people don't really talk about it. Yeah, they don't really talk about it. My my really good friend Henry, who was one of my first mentors growing up, just moved back to town, and I was chatting with him. And yeah, they have a nonprofit that I think sadly has to frequent Louisiana. But there there is kind of like during natural disaster type situations, him and his buddies started a nonprofit that basically go and try to help the kids during that. Because you think again, stability and chaos. So the the parents are worried about insurance, and the parents are worried about this and that during a flood or a mm-hmm. wildfire like where they've lost their parents yeah that too but yeah this, so then what are the what's going on with the kids you know you're six years old are they going to sit in these insurance meetings so they go out and they literally fly overnight to these big extreme events and try to do like pop-up camps so like rent a school or they'll find a gymnasium and they'll grab all the kids during this chaotic time and just start playing games with them or teaching them how to paint or playing dodgeball i was like oh do you have like a method he's like yeah we have some like you know therapeutic type methods because some data shows that if you if you kind of nip it in the bud during this chaos, maybe we could help ease the the long term effects on their mentals of losing their child at home or whatever it may be. And he's like, but a lot of it's just playing, man. They're fucking kids. <laughs> you know, right. they just they just need to like not be locked into some kind of shelter and start playing with other kids, whether they know them or not. And, um, but you don't hear about that stuff. You know, you hear about you hear about Florida not taking all state insurance because of hurricanes or whatever the hell yeah. you know you hear about yeah. all this adult shit you don't hear about that's right yeah the the real and that's fine you know like yeah it sucks to be an adult and shitty things happen to adults as well but like the the escalation of how shitty it is for someone younger is is monumental you know you, we can't even calculate how much crazier it is when you're smaller i agree so we live in a, in, in a society, and it's sort of a really broad, I'm, I'm tarring everybody with the, with the same brush here, but people who have had difficult childhoods often um, develop more of a, a victim mentality. Mm. And um, 
and don't are not looking to move forward positively. They're they're deriving their esteem from uh, people seeing them as someone who was damaged yep. and and um, milking it. Milking we can it. we can hit yeah. him in the face because some people are shitters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. stop can, milking you, it. You can be honest, bro. Yeah, this and you were not doing. Man, go for it. <laughs> yeah, you are not doing that, as far as I can tell. Thanks, is man. that is that something innate or was that a decision? That's a great question. Man, y'all make y'all are doing great. <laughs> Seriously, congrats, man. Um I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to associate with being a victim. I want to associate with being a victor. I want to push past all the negativity and the hurt and the trauma. I mean, it came back. That's why I'm speaking out because it victimized me. I I started getting incredibly stressed out. Remember when the interest rates were amazing? Yeah. yeah. Families were building homes left and right. Right. Well, that was a lot of stress. And I built my second home in that time. <laughs> so all of these feelings and emotions and hypervigilance kicked in and all those years where I was like thinking that I'm not going to associate with being a foster child. I'm going to associate with being someone successful, chasing a dream. I forgot and I disassociated so hard that it hurt me. So it was a dance. I'm not a victim. I am a victor today. I don't want to take that approach and I'm not going to say, woe is me because I believe anyone, no matter who you are, where you came from, you have the ability to choose with your mindset and your heart and your spirit and become who you want to be. You just have to choose it. Now we all grow up in different situations with, with trauma or struggles, but that's the human journey. And the hero's journey is a real thing. Um, and I'm going to take it and run with it. I'm going to choose positivity, love, direction, authenticity, and give back in that way. And just show that you can be a good human, no matter what's happened to you. Now, I don't have to live around those people that hurt me. And I choose not to be around them. But I'm not going to choose to be a victim. I'm not going to choose to stay in a negative mindset every single day. I'm going to choose to do what it takes to be positive and live an encouraging life. Do you think some of those, like when's the first time some of those lessons popped into your head? Like like high school years, a little bit before? Because like, I think Jim's question is good. Like, yeah, did you choose that or did it choose you? Again, just to go, you know, broad brush on everyone. I think a lot of people that end up in like some victim stuff haven't handled like real shit. You know, they had, they had speed bumps, but you you were mm. fighting walls. You're fighting mountains. You know, like your situation was real. It's kind of life or death for a lot of situations, and you really got to push your way through that. And to push your way through that, you build yourself up, right? Because you're you're relying on yourself to get shit done. And if you get shit done, you prove to yourself you can get shit done, and then you just rinse, repeat, and now it seems you're doing great, right? Because you rinse, repeat it enough years. Or if you have like little shit happen to you, you know, you're you're crying every day because you got a flat tire, 
and that's the worst thing you've ever come across in your life, it's real easy to go, woe is me. You know, call AAA, fix your tire, bitch about it for a week until the next small thing happens. Now you got a crack in your window. You're going to bitch about that for another week, you know. But real trial and tribulations, and that comes in a broad scope, obviously. There's a lot of tough things that happen to a lot of, you know, good people in the world. But that, in one way, kind of like forced you to be that way, do you think? Yeah. I didn't choose it. Yeah, right. It chose me. I say that all the time, man. I'll be bitching at kids in our gym <laughs> because, because especially in fitness, right? It's like, wake up, yeah. take a cold bath, do something hard. Dude, I know, right? And I said, there's a very big difference. And I'm, I've lived an amazing life. I'm so lucky in many ways. Not that my life's been perfect. You know, I've dealt with my own shit, but there's a huge difference in life with how you stay disciplined when things and hard things are forced upon you rather than choosing to work out really hard or choosing to run in the sun, or choosing to stay two minutes longer in the sauna. Do those build character? Sure, maybe in like the smallest scale, but how, how do you act when real life slaps you in the face and you have no control? How do, you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you move through life then? What's your mentality then? It's easy to fake smile in a cold tub every morning. I'm sorry if you're a cold plunger, buddy. I don't mean to blast your morning <laughs> routine. Dude, I'm not. I tried Everyone's it fucking yeah, fuck that shit. It's incredibly traumatizing, dude. We worked on <laughs> we worked on insulation and fucking AC and heat for the last hundred years. I'm going to utilize it. Yeah, you know, we're not kidding. caving. Right but joking aside, that that's a huge movement in fitness. And obviously, all of them have a discount code for a cold plunge, and so you know it all ties into money. But people act like this discipline to show up to the gym is the same mm -hmm. discipline for you to even just lift lift your eyelids in the morning at 10 years old when chaos is around you and they're not the same they're not the fucking mm. same thing bro that's that's true but everything's all about perspective so that tire flat that may be one of the worst things i've ever ever experienced um you're right about that i i don't know I'm just going to accept it for what it is. You know, I had all these challenges growing up. I still have challenges today. But, dude, I can honestly say thank you for it because I'm not afraid to ask for someone's business. I'm not afraid to come on this podcast. I'm not afraid to put myself out there. I mean, I do have fear. But those hard times, whenever... I didn't have anybody else. I had to have myself and I had to push myself and I had to get, I don't know, fight those demons, man. Slay that dragon, dude. Yeah. You know, talk to that yeah. dragon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really want to thank you for, for being on the show and sharing with us. Um, I think this is an important conversation. Hopefully this will be, um, will inspire other people to, to, talk about this issue more and 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 find something to do about it um where can people find you they can find me on instagram it's easy it's mikey doucet m-i-k-e-y-d-o-u-c-e-t i'm also on youtube same thing mikey doucet and i'm also on facebook um and the more that i'm able to speak the more that i'm able to talk about it the more grateful i am Thank you guys for allowing me this opportunity. Thank you for taking a chance on me. Jim, I appreciate you reaching out. Mike, dude, I remember when I was powerlifting, bro, 
thank you for the inspiration, man. So thank you guys for everything. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. You, you uh, threw up the uh, Pioneer belt. No more powerlifting for you. <laughs> no more powerlifting as we speak. I am. Uh, I did some RFT, raw functional training, yeah. for a little while. Really appreciated that. I'm really into endurance training right now. Like I love cardio. Um, I, I want to challenge myself to do a marathon. I've done a half cool. marathon, so I still like to lift heavy. I didn't know everything about everything when I started powerlifting, so I was very grateful for it. Um, it gave me the base that I have today, and the strength and encouragement. So. Uh, but yeah, the pioneer belt, it's sitting to the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whip on the Hoka shoes. <laughs> Everybody's running these That's days. Right. Or barefoot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. are you a barefoot runner? Dude, I tried it. My calves. Yeah, I'm got out. tore up, man. Ugh. I do have the Bruins. I love them. I don't know if the, I can do uh, all that. From um, Barefoot? Yes, from Barefoot. Yeah, yep. Chris Duffin's company. Yeah. Yes, Chris Duffin. Former foster youth. He will. He will yeah. love hearing that. Yeah. 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 We've we've talked to Duffin about his journey a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I consider him a um a, as good a friend in the fitness industry as one can have. I think. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a NorCal boy. Yeah. Um. Like yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, brand new episode every Wednesday and Friday. Thank you for digging in and listening to us. Uh, 3sb.co for all your clothing needs. Goodcompanydiscord.com if you want to tap into the community. And um, Solomon Mike, where you want to find me? I am at DJ McD on all the social media. The show is 50% Facts, where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. 50% Facts is a Spreaker Prime podcast in association with iHeartMedia on the Obscure Celebrity Network. We'll talk to you next time. All right, don't worry.